Good morning, everybody. I welcome you to the church today. It's, uh, I'm the associate superintendent for the district. We have 131 congregations in the Eastern District, ranging from up near Albany, New York, throughout Long Island, down through New Jersey, Maryland, Delaware, to the very bottom of Virginia. We just started, uh, actually, we just called our, our most recent church planter um, to go to um, Roanoke, Virginia. He just showed up this last this week um, from Texas where he'd been pastoring before that and his uh, moving van was supposed to beat him there and it broke down in Mississippi so we can pray that he would actually find his belongings he and his family um, and get settled into Roanoke a a multicultural African-American pastor in a multicultural setting there in Roanoke so God is doing some wonderful work in our district and uh, we're grateful for that. And thank you for being here today to gather as God's people. I love that last song that we sang. The words are so deep in terms of needing to bring our cause, bring our hope, bring our faith before the Lord. Today we're going to be taking a look at a, a difficult passage in, in Matthew 10, if you want to turn there. Um, uh, to Matthew ten thirty four, We won't look at it directly, so just keep your finger there. We're going to, to um, look at a couple of other passages before we get to Matthew 10, but uh, the title of the sermon this morning is called The Radical Claims About Discipleship. God, uh, or rather Jesus, who is God, but Jesus very often spoke words that were difficult for people to hear. And uh, some of the words that you're going to hear today may be difficult to hear, but uh, they're God's word, and we have to to pay attention, don't we? Let me pray as we get started in the word and ask the Lord to open the word to us this morning to our understanding. Father, as we look at your word, we are grateful for all that you teach us. We thank you that your word is alive and powerful like a two-edged sword that strikes to the very core of our hearts and our souls. Would you do that with us this day? Teach us what we need to learn. Convict us where we need conviction. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. But Lord, we would ask that you would change us today because of what we study. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you remember the the parable of Jesus where he talked about uh, there was a man walking through a field and, and he found a treasure and he wanted that treasure. So he buried the treasure in the ground and then went home and he sold everything that he owned, everything that was important to him, he sold so that he could go back and buy the field so that he could have the treasure. Remember that parable? He gave up everything. Well, what is the treasure in your own life, in your own heart, that you would be willing to give everything to possess? For some people, it's their career, their million-dollar career, and they'd give up everything to make the partner in the firm or in the business, right? They give up their family time, they give up their home time, they give up their health very often because they're just at work too many hours, they give up all of their free time. Some people, it's the American dream, Right? We, we, we live for the American dream uh, of owning a house and a car and 2.5 well-adjusted cats. I mean kids. For some, it's family. For, 
For others, it's the golf game, and we, you know, we, we spend all of our time trying to improve our, our golf scores. Sometimes it's the way we do church, and we'll give up everything to make sure that it continues being the way we want it. These have been difficult days for you as a congregation, and I've been following what's been going on because of you being a part of our district, uh, talking to your elders, talking to your pastors, and uh, know that the Eastern District is praying for you through this difficult time. And my purpose today is, is not to yell at anybody, not to take up sides, My purpose today is to help us get our eyes back on the most important thing, which is Jesus Christ and the gospel message. So if you get mad at me, just remember, I'm just the messenger today. I'm preaching the word of God. Um, You know, I, I did check my life insurance policy and I'm all up to date. So if you get mad and want to tar and feather me, I'm okay with that, I guess. Okay, But let, let's pay attention to what God's word has to say. What is your treasure that is worth selling everything to, to own? All of us have something that we hold on to. We say, I, I don't know that I can give that over to God. I don't know that I'm willing to give it up, whatever it is. Well, today's passage is a really difficult, harsh passage. I, I, many of you may have never heard a sermon on this particular uh, passage of Scripture. Why? Because it's, it's extreme, it's radical, it's, it's difficult to hear. But these are Jesus' words, and so we want to pay attention to them. Today we're going to take a look at the radical claims of what it means to be an, an authentic disciple. If you go back into the original language of, of the word radical, it, it, the root word is, is the word root. It's the, it, radical means to get to the essential root of some subject, to get rid of all of the fluff, to get rid of anything that extraneously uh, pulls your attention away from what that subject is. By the very definition, being radical about something means to take it seriously, to get rid of all anything that distracts so that you can look at the fundamental core of whatever it is you're studying. A disciple is not just a student. I used to be a teacher at Rift Valley Academy in Kenya. I was a missionary with Africa Inland Mission for a lot of years. And, and I'd go to class sometimes, and we've all been there, especially some of us guys, when we'd get to class, and before the teacher could even open up the lesson plan, the kids were already... They were done with the class, and the class hadn't even begun yet. That is not a disciple. A disciple is one who is so committed to what the teacher is saying that you will forsake what you want in order to completely follow the teacher. Somebody committed to walking closely with the teacher and to live out those teachings. That's what a disciple is. So when you put those two words together, radical discipleship means walking with Christ, making his teachings your core rule of life, no matter what that might be, what, no matter what that might ask you to do or where that might take you. 
Now, complete commitment to Christ in this way is not an easy road to take. It's rarely taken. Let me give you some biblical examples here, a couple of biblical examples and one from more modern day. You remember Abram in the Old Testament? Abram lived in a, in a culture where everybody worshipped the moon. His family were moon worshippers. And God showed up into Abram's life and said, Abram, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your friends. I want you to leave everything that's comfortable, everything that's familiar, and just start walking. And I'll tell you when to stop. You just keep going until I say, this is where I want you to go. Now that's radical. How many of you would be willing to leave the church service today, get in your car, and just start driving? And not stop until you sensed God saying, here, right here. In the New Testament, we have an example of Stephen. Stephen was one of the disciples of Christ, a a deacon. And God did not ask him to go to the far corners of the earth. He said, Stephen, I want you to stay right here and be faithful to me. What I tell you to, t- to say, you say it. Even to the religious leaders of the day, to speak the truth, even though it would make you into a martyr. And it did, didn't it? Stephen was the first church martyr. M- more recently, maybe some of you have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany during World War II. And for his faith and because he was against Hitler, he got put into a concentration camp. He was, he was hung for his stand against Hitler and his stand for Christ. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. It's one of the Christian classics. If you've never read it, you need to. But he wrote in that book, when Christ calls a man, listen, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's radical discipleship, to be willing to die for the cause of Christ. That kind of takes the fun and games out of life, doesn't it? When you have to realize that our Christian walk is that serious. It takes, the, the, um, it takes away the self-centeredness in our churchianity. It forces us away from what we want to become who Christ wants us to be. I propose to you today that the the treasure that is worth giving up all to own is Jesus Christ and his gospel-centered message that needs to be shared. A radical disciple will get rid of anything that is counterfeit, anything that is a treasure that will lead you away from Christ and doing God's work. What is, what is it that is a distraction to you today to follow God like that? To be willing to give up everything that's important to me because I need to follow Christ. What self-centered treasure do you need to give to God today to come lay up on the altar and say, I give it up? Well, let's look at this passage that's going to take you into some really uncomfortable land today. 
Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 39. I'll read it and you can follow along. Do not suppose or do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Say, wait a minute. That's not in the Bible, is it? Yeah, it is. Say, I don't like this already. Let's stop now. Well, we can't. (laughs) It's on the screen. We have to read it, right? For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Are you uncomfortable yet? I don't like preaching this sermon. There's a popular adage about Jesus. Maybe you've heard it. He comforts the afflicted and he afflicts the comfortable. If you're comfortable in your Christianity today, then understand this. God perhaps is going to um, cause some spiritual ants in your pants. I don't know how else to say it. You're you're going to feel perturbed, bothered. You're going to be troubled by what I have to say. You're going to say, Pastor, you've stopped preaching and now you've started to meddle. And the reality is there's probably going to be some meddling that's going to take place this morning. Just be aware of it. I'll, I'll watch for the tar and feathers. But we should never be completely comfortable in this world and the way the world wants to do life. Why is that? Simply this, there's too many of our neighbors right around us who are lost that need to come to faith in Christ for us just to be comfortable with sitting next to everybody that we've always sat next to in church and never go and intentionally, now listen carefully to what I'm saying. I'm going to say a complete sentence. Don't drop out of this before I finish the sentence, okay? Ready for this? There's too many people, neighbors around us who are lost for us not to go to them to do good deeds for our neighbors so that we earn goodwill with our neighbors so that we might even make a good friend of our unsaved neighbors so that when the time is right to share the good news with our neighbors, they'll be willing to listen to us. Does that make sense to you? There are too many persecuted believers around the world who are being put in prison and tortured and who are being killed for their faith, do you you realize that today there are more people dying because they're believers in Christ than any other time in history? It's an amazing statistic. But there are too many people like that for us not to sit on our hands but to kneel on our knees in prayer that they would be released from their persecution. 
There are too many dying souls to not be willing to put your own life on the line to go and rescue the perishing. My wife, Karen, who's here with me this morning, uh, reminded me the other day that, that our passports have expired and we need to get our passports up and running again. Not because we, we're anticipating to go overseas, but you know what? If God calls us, we need to be ready to go. To even die for your faith. This is a hard passage, right? There's lots of passages in scripture that we like to listen to. They're, they're easy. The next slide will, will, will list some that are my favorite ones. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that a great verse? A verse of hope and promise for the, for the sinner. A promise of heaven. Or how about, we've all heard the, the Lord's, you know, the, 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 um, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Isn't it good to know that it's not any old person that's your shepherd? Not a pastor, not an elder, but it's the Lord himself who meets your needs. Some of you perhaps today are, are, are upset or, or discouraged or afraid let me t- encourage you to put Deuteronomy 31 and verse 8 on a piece of paper, on a three-by-five card, and p- stick it up on your mirror or on your dashboard of your car or wherever you're going to memorize a verse. It's a wonderful verse. The Lord goes before you. He will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. What a wonderful verse of hope when you don't have much hope. Um, Hebrews 12, 2. Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. Isn't it good to know that you don't have to invent a faith? God already has. And you don't have to do some amazing task in order to earn God's good favor. He's the one that's perfecting your faith. That's a part of his grace to us. 1 Peter 3.11 says, seek peace and pursue it. And in the middle of all of this joy and love and peace and perfecting faith, uh, the, the Lord gives us a passage, Matthew 10, verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And you go, what? Wait, stop. Isaiah 9, 6 says that that Jesus is the prince of peace. If he's the prince of peace, if he's told us to pursue peace, then why is he now saying, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword? This is crazy talk. Should should I really believe in these hard words here or should I just kind of pass them by? That's not a new question. As a matter of fact, many of Jesus' early followers thought that they had a a great treasure in Jesus. Do you know why? Because he was healing them of their sicknesses. He was raising some of their family members from the dead. Why, he was feeding them when they were hungry, 5,000 one day. That's just the men, not including the women and the kids that were there. 
What a great deal. You know, what if somebody tells me there's supper, there's lunch after church today downstairs and it's free, I'm there. <laughs> you know? Wow. But when they sensed the radical root expectations of what Jesus really meant for, to, for them to be a follower of him, one by one, they started leaving. They no longer followed. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, his blood dripping off of his body down the wooden uh, piece of the cross into the soil below, who was there looking up at him? The Bible says it was his mother, his mother's sister, a couple of other people, maybe John, and that was it. That was it. Everybody else had, had fled. John 6, 60 says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And so I'm challenging you with this question this morning. Are you going to be like one of those early disciples who turned away when you realize that it's not such an easy thing? When, when you realize what Jesus is really calling his disciples to do, will you get up and leave because this sermon is a hard sermon to listen to? You don't like what it's saying. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a um, sword that's dividing you from your comfortable, self-centered existence. Well, let's look again at, at verse 36 and 37 of Matthew 10. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. Wow. Don't like that, right? Many of us love our families. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. When I went off to college to study the Bible to become a minister, I graduated and when I came home, I announced to my family that I believed God was calling me to be a missionary in Africa and there was not a whole lot of, that's great, Pete, we're so proud of you because my family were not believers in Christ at that time. I was the only Christian in my family. They especially balked at me asking family and friends to support me as a missionary. My dad pulled me aside and he said, Peter, nobody's going to give you money to go on vacation to a safari in Kenya. But you know, I have to hand it to my family. They did not forbid me to go. Now listen. Listen. Some families do. Even Christian families will stop their children or their family members from getting too excited about following Christ completely. They make it virtually impossible for their children to take this followership thing too far. They want more for their kids. Don't get so caught up in this Jesus stuff and ruin your, your future. And in reply, Jesus says about family that turns you away from God's call on your life, verse 37, I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Wow, we don't like that, do we? 
For most of us who, who love family, this is a really difficult saying. Is Jesus really saying that I must turn against my family? I must reject them somehow to walk away from them. Then what am I supposed to do with 1 Timothy 5.8? If anyone does not provide for his relations, and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and he's worse than an infidel. It's like God is talking out of both sides of his mouth here. Uh, what do we do with that? What, and, and what about the family of God? Some of you are not that close with your family, your biological family, but you are close with your church family. Is there a lesson here for us today? I think there is. When the family of God or your biological family resists what God wants, what are we supposed to do? Where do we go with this? What's going on here with this verse? I believe that what God is, what, what is happening here is Jesus is using a rhetorical uh, tactic often used in debate called hyperbole. Have you ever heard that word, hyperbole? I don't use that often in normal conversation, but it's out there. Hyperbole is a deliberate exaggeration um, that, that's good to use when you need to shock somebody into really listening. You know, sometimes when I'm preaching, I'll look at the congregation and I start to see eyes closing. My wife one day, she's got a practical joke side to her. She got a bunch of people surrounding her in the pews to all yawn at the same time to see if they could get me yawning at my own sermon. (laughs) I've forgiven her. But you know what, sometimes when you say something, when you realize people aren't really paying attention anymore and you say something shocking, all of a sudden everybody goes, what? What did he just say? Now you've got them, right? That's hyperbole. Hyperbole captures an emotion or a conviction so that it will make a point. And Jesus needed to make a point about what it really means to be a follower of his. What exactly did he say in Matthew 10? It'll come up on the screen here, I believe. Whoever, what's the next word? Loves his father or mother. What? More than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves his son or daughter, what? More than me is not worthy of me. He's not saying that you are to not love your family or that you're supposed to reject your family or hate your family. His point is this. You you can't love your family more than you love God and still be considered a disciple or a follower of Christ. Let me say that again. You can't love your family, and I would add in, or anything else for that matter, more than you love God and still be considered a disciple, a follower of Christ. We can make our families into an idol. Just like we can make any other treasure that we might hold on to into an idol that pulls us away from God and serving God the way that he's asking us to. 
when our desires become more important than winning those whom Christ wants to reach, then we have fallen into idolatry. Jesus is really asking a, a very important question of all of us this morning. Where does your allegiance lie? When you consider all the things you can treasure, whether it's your job, your career, your family, your, the American dream, whether it's your golf game, whether it's the way we do church, whatever it might be, the styles that we like, if those things become more important than Jesus, then we've missed the boat. We've gotten off mark. Where does your allegiance lie this morning? It's not an issue of hating family. It's an issue of loving them less than you love God. Don't let your family replace God. Don't let your favored style of ministry get in the way of serving God. Told you I was going to meddle. Well, here's some more meddling. Parents, to be literal to the scripture passage here about family, don't put out the fire for serving God that you see that is being killed and kindled in your children because you're afraid they might go to be a missionary in Africa someplace instead of becoming the bank president or the lawyer or the, or the uh, doctor that you've always hoped that they would be. Don't forbid your kids to go on a missions trip some summer. Don't put guilt on them because they want to get a Bible degree for a year before they go off to get their other degree. You know, it's, I'm not saying that it's wrong to be a doctor or a lawyer or a bank president or a truck driver or a school teacher or whatever it is that God's calling your children to become. But if they are committed to wanting to get a Bible degree as well, don't prevent them from doing that. My son, Michael, he's my thir- third of my four, four kids. Michael got a commission to go to West Point, And he turned it down for a year because he wanted to go to Cairn University to get a Bible certificate because he knew that he needed that grounding before he became a soldier. It meant that he had to give up the commission and reapply and hope he got in again. And he did. But he got his Bible degree as well. You see, don't forsake that. Don't forsake that. Don't stop them. In church, do not let your personal preferences get in the way of living and working together to win one more for the Lord. Bottom line here, God has to be first in your life. Could you agree to that? Somebody say amen. Does my wife need to get everybody to yawn at the same time? No. You see, whether God calls you to the far ends of the world or to stay right here to just go across the street to share the good news with your neighbor, when that sort of thing happens, the world will see the gospel as a sword that is separating them from their sinfulness and they're not going to like that. Usually they don't like it. 
Nobody likes to be confronted with their sinful lives, but we need to expect that. That's what the scripture's telling us. Christ came with a sword. Sadly, your family may not have the same fervor and zeal for Christ as you do. They, they may try to dissuade you from your desire to be sold out to Jesus Christ. I've even met some families that have disowned their kids because they just wanted to follow Christ. But when it's the church family that does that, then we've got an issue. We have a problem. Even your church brothers and sisters may get up in arms about how things are going and how far um, less important sharing the gospel and following Christ God's treasure, you see, is then your own personal desires and hopes. You're currently experiencing that. But we have an answer to that in Scripture. The world shall know us by how we love one another. What message is a divided church sending to those you would hope to share the good news? Told you you weren't going to like it. See, God is the one to whom we were going to answer for eternity one day. So be true to him. Even if it means a sword comes between family members, make the treasure worth selling everything in life to own, Jesus Christ. Get to know him. Make him your deepest desire. Uh, He has unrivaled beauty. He is unconditional love. He is radiant glory. There is nothing unwholesome or tainted about him. His goodness is pure. He is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is your treasure. Nothing else. Don't dismiss him and make other treasures your goal. Don't just look at him and, as something to get what, the, what, what you want. He's what you want. He, Christ, is what you want. His gospel is what we're called to live out. So get close to him. Be with him. Experience him. Reconcile to him, with him, and with each other. Let him remove this stain of division. The the radical disciple will love Christ more than their own flesh and blood. The radical disciple will not let family or friends uh, turn you away from following Christ completely. The, The radical disciple will not care what church looks like, will not let style issues destroy the gospel witness to a dying world, but will do whatever it takes to make sure one more has an opportunity to hear the gospel. The radical disciple will, as our next slide shows, verse 38, will, will, says, will take up the cross, be willing to go sacrifice all to win one more for Christ. So take up your cross. Die daily to your selfish desires and wants and follow Christ in making more disciples your life's goal. 
One final thought as we close up today. Peace does come into a soul when they ask forgiveness of their sins and they invite Christ into their life. Amen? But bringing the gospel to the world does not bring peace to the messenger of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is a sword that divides the sinner from their sin. It can be hard and gut-wrenching and messy work, and that's what it means to obey in verse 38, to take up your cross, to die daily to your own desires and your own self, and then to go with Christ. But there's a promise after verse 38 in verse 39. You can read it in your Bible. It's true. It's true that if we choose to hang on to the wrong treasure, we're going to lose that treasure. Whoever finds satisfaction in this life, in this life's systems, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, whoever becomes a radical disciple of Christ, well, you're going to find life, eternal life. See, being with Christ is not about making your life happier or safer or better. You were made for more than this world's treasure. If you have Christ in your life, then use that relationship to bless others. Live with passion, love with a purpose. Open your, your heart and your eyes to God at work in the world around you, to your neighbors, to your coworkers who need to come to Christ and to God's call on your life. Understand what your calling is. Back in 1910, G.K. Chesterton wrote a book called What's Gone Wrong with the World? What's Wrong with the World? And, and he, he talked in this book about radical discipleship. He didn't have that term, radical disciple. He called it the ideal, um, the, the Christian ideal. But you know what? Radical discipleship is the Christian ideal. And he wrote this in, his, in, his, in this book. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and therefore left untried. Although difficult, are you willing this morning to at least try being a radical disciple? Of putting aside personal differences in order to be able to fulfill the calling of God in this community as a church. Have you, you, you have a choice today. You may choose to turn away because of the hard sayings that we've heard this morning uh, of, of Jesus. You, just, you might say, I just, I just can't get that serious about following Christ. I don't want to see my kids go off to the mission field or to become a pastor or whatever. I, 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 I just, my family's too important to me. My way of life is too important. My way of doing church is just too important to me to bend my knee to Christ in that way. Or, or you might see the world as God sees it, broken, messy, lost, in need of somebody to come along who will sacrifice all to reach one more with the good news of Jesus Christ. 
You know, his, his use of shocking words today, hyperbole today, reflects the seriousness and the conviction uh, uh, behind the message. He's getting his point across, hopefully, to you this morning. He is the treasure that is worth selling all to own and then to follow him in radical discipleship. And so if, you, if you're willing to make him your treasure, our last slide this morning We'll come up with two questions, and I'm adding a third. The first question is this. If you want to make God your ultimate treasure, then how are you going to spend better time with him this week than you have last week? How can I spend better time with God so I can discover him anew, get to know him more intimately? The second question is, who am I going to bless this week? Who in your worldview, in your circle of influence, needs some gospel this week? Somebody that you need to go and just bless this week, to encourage this week. Uh, Understand that you might be misunderstood or mocked for doing it, but go anyway, bite the bullet. Go and and share with them. Do, Do it anyways, even though it's hard. See, God is alive and at work. He's preparing the soil of souls. And you don't know that that person that you'd like to go share a little bit of gospel with this week might just be ready to accept the message and become a believer, a fully devoted believer in Christ, a disciple. And the third question that's not up there the third idea, something for you to to dwell on. Who do you need to go to this week in order to make amends because you've, well, you've you've put the wrong treasure first. Is there somebody that you need to go to because you've put the wrong treasure first? And at the end of this sermon, you've realized getting the word of God out, the gospel out to share others has not been as important to me as other things. And I need to make right with that. Let me pray this morning. Father, this has been a really difficult passage for all of us to, to read and to think about it. to to realize that it's not one of our favorite passages that we would hope to listen to a sermon on. We've wrestled with you today in your word today. But Lord, my prayer for this congregation is that they would wrap their lives in your divine love. That you would surround us, Lord, with your radiant glory, that we would see your unrivaled beauty, that we would be more in love with you as a result of your word today than anything else that might be out there. Help us to know you. Help us to increase our, our desire for you, to love you more, to serve you better. And we'll praise you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.